Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. Today I am joined, rejoined, by special guest Geraldine Carter. Geraldine, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's so good to be back. Yes, welcome back. So for folks who maybe missed the previous episode where you came on, could you tell everyone a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. So I work with CPAs and I help them restructure their businesses so that they work with fewer clients doing higher value work so that they don't have to work so hard because they come from an hourly billing kind of space, which leads to all the problems your listeners know about. Mm -hmm. Great. And the subject for today is transitioning from sort of one-on-one -on -one programs into something more productized and what that's done for your business, what that, uh, that transition has been like. Yes. Cool. All right. So maybe start back at the beginning. Where where, where did we start at the beginning of our tale? Okay. So we started out, I was offering one-on-one -on -one coaching services and I was, you know, I had enough business, but I wasn't necessarily full and it felt kind of unpredictable as to when folks would come in the door. And, um, and it wasn't clear to me how I could make that more consistent and have sort of more control over my revenue and my time while also doing better work for um, the kinds of clients that I wanted to be working with. So we were, it was all one-on-one -on -one and um, you helped me create some productized services right out of the gates, namely a strategy session, a roadmap, and there was one other thing, but I don't remember. Oh, we did a video course as right. well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. And just so we're clear, the one-on-one -on -one coaching is usually a high-ticket thing. Is that true in your case as well? Yeah. So my one-on-one -on -one coaching program, just because it takes a bit of time to restructure, is a five-month program for $25,000. Mm -hmm. And just to recap, that was doing all right, You, but you, were, you weren't having the predictability that you wanted and it wasn't clear how to scale, uh, those sorts of things. Yeah. And scaling wasn't even on my radar. Like that was, <laughs> I was, I wasn't even thinking about scaling. I was like, I just wanted to stabilize more than anything. Sure. Okay. I was injecting it mentally. <laughs> like, yeah. You're planting happen. seeds. Right. Um, okay. So what happened next? Um, once you launched those, uh, once you launched, I try not to say we constantly, <laughs> but once you launched those things, the, the strategy call, for example, uh, what did you notice? What started to happen? Well, the thing that was um, that made the biggest difference was really getting clear about who my cust my ideal customer was, my ideal customer was, and um, and figuring out the subset of problems that were consistent. And from that, then we created the um, the roadmap, the blueprint, and I got that up on my website. And I think I sold. Actually, I think I sold exactly zero of those, <laughs> but that was okay because the exercise of doing it made me think through all of the things that my clients routinely came to me with mm -hmm. and what the, um, you know, the, the answers are not all over the map. Yes, there's some variation, but the bell curve is pretty tight. So it really helped me get organized in terms of what the, what my clients were going to need. And then I took that material and I recorded it, put it in a video, um, put that on Thinkific or Teachable, it was Teachable, mm -hmm. and um, sold a few of those. But really, we were working on building out my one-on-one -on -one and attracting more high-level clients. And that was the thing that made a big difference because getting that ironed out and um, taking the sort of bespoke nature out of it and having that be five months, nine meetings, here's what we're going to work on. 
um, and here's the price just mm-hmm. made like it clarified for me what I was selling and it upped my confidence, which upped my delivery. And then when we increased the price, I had a bit more time to deepen my expertise, which you know, did all the things that we want it to do, which is, you know, then I can accelerate my clients learning, provide more value more quickly, continue to um, make incremental price increases. So right. really I focused on the one-on-one and the um, the pro- those initial productized services, um, I think were a bit of a ladder for people who wanted to come in at lower rungs, um, mm-hmm. but they never really were the, but I didn't push them that much because right. there were enough people that were coming in for one-on-one. Right. So that, that you reminded me back when you were originally doing one-on-one, it was, it wasn't structured really, was it? And definitely the price were all over the place. It was like, <laughs> I remember I had forgotten that your pricing was like every single person was like priced differently. It was very confusing. And, yes. and even, I, I, I think I'm rem- remembering correctly that there were even like different kind of like requirements. Like you had, diff- you were engaged in different, you'd made different promises kind of, I don't it, know how to put it. It could have been, and there was some variation into who was um, who was coming to me with which kinds of problems. Yep. And now I'm much more specific about who I like the problems that I talk about. So, but I mean, this was just for listeners. This was January of a year and a half ago, so like 22 months ago, hmm. and it was the middle of the pandemic, and I don't remember a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go a little bit more specific into just for the listener about about how focused your target person is like how were you able to make things so repeatable and programmatic you know like being able to to focus on a very very specific type of buyer allows those things but if you could just tell people how specific you actually are because you said cpas but it's even more Mm. specific than that yeah so it's solo cpas so not partners right not partner firms where there's like five basically owners it's single owners Bringing in between typically seven hundred and fifty thousand to one point two million, because those people have a very specific set of problems, which are that they work way too many hours, they make plenty of money, they don't need to make more money. That's not what they're looking for. They're so buried under their business that they can't see how to get out of it. So. Um, and not everybody has that problem. If you're making 250K, you might not have that problem. Or if you do, you might not have the buying power. So it's really the person who's making 750K to 1, 1.2 million who's totally buried and doesn't know the pathway out that is the problem that I focus on solving. Nice. So, you know, just for the dear listener, that's like very, very specific. It's like a, a demographic inside of a vertical, <laughs> right? <laughs> So like, but Geraldine, you could do this for architects and lawyers too. And, you know, and, or come on, you couldn't, you could do it with partners. It's like, no, you really can't. I mean, so I interviewed some marketers recently and they have businesses in similar places and they have the, the subset of problems was so strikingly similar. Mm -hmm. And yet I was also like, I don't think I could help you because as marketers, you price differently than CPAs. The nature of your work is different mm-hmm. than CPAs work, even though so much is the same. Just this one difference makes it so that I wouldn't want to, I mean, I would love to work with them. I think I could help them, but I wouldn't want to take them on with his clients because there's that one key difference makes it so that I would have a whole new thing, a whole new set of information I would need to learn about. Right. 
yeah, it's like, it's like, I get the same sort of thing. And I do work with, oh, I mean, I, I started out focusing specifically on self-employed software developers. You are not a self-employed software developer. So obviously <laughs> I branched out at a certain point, uh, but it was a learning curve. It was definitely a learning curve because a lot of the same reasons, you know, like for, for example, just to use myself as an example, the, one of the things that software developers have to, to deal with that is really top of mind with them. It is a really big deal to them. And in fact, is a really big deal for their business is scope creep. And this is of course true with lots of different businesses, but it seems particularly bad in software where you're, you're doing something that's very expensive. It takes a, it takes a lot of time to build software and it's also pretty intangible. So people have a hard time, clients have a hard time articulating what they want. So you end up with all this crazy potential scope creep. So a big portion of my my early days, a big portion of kind of the expertise that I brought to bear had to do with the delivery, like my clients delivering software mm -hmm. projects better. And I've, I, I don't do that nearly as much anymore. It's much more about the the stuff that's upstream from, from you know, signing on the dotted line on a proposal. But uh, yeah, and you're, you're, you could probably, I don't want to put you on the spot if you can rattle it off, but what are some of the things that what are some of the, the pains or the language that you can use because you're so tightly focused on a particular ideal buyer? Yeah, yeah. So let me see what I can rattle off. Um, for sure, they talk about always being backed up against deadlines. They talk about their, um, they have certain legacy clients that they refer to as their little old ladies that, <laughs> <laughs> that they don't want to let go of. Mm -hmm. And oh my gosh, if you got me going. I'm sure I could think of a ton. They yeah. they constantly talk about pricing. They will say things like I want to I want to generate more revenue, but I don't want to work more. Mm -hmm. And it's I mean on the spot it's hard to think of beyond the little old ladies. I'm sure I could think of a 100 no, things. I know. But it's more like like getting being their inside back. their Oh yeah, getting their weekends back. They work insane hours. They're, you know, they feel like they're always backed up against the deadline. That what I said. Mm -hmm. Um, I did a David C. Baker style drop down and give me 20 to list out <laughs> all their pain points. And I went on for four pages of Google Docs wow. about all their um about their pain points. And it's more like being in their back pocket and understanding the challenges that they face and that there aren't enough staff and they're oh, here's a good one. Um, there's they can't keep up with changes to legislation, they can't keep up with changes to technology. Um, and understanding their problems and what they're facing is just super useful because they don't have to explain it to me. Right. Yeah. You're already in their head. Yeah. Cool. There, another thing about your ideal buyer is they have an unusual sort of busy season. Busy is like their flow of their year is very different than I think most other, um, e even people who have feast famine cycles in their business, they're, they're not usually tax day. You know, it's not, it's not that time of year. It's like an unusual time of year to be busy. It's almost like off 180 degrees off when other people are busy. So it's another thing that comes to play, like having that, that really focused target market. It's like, well, launching something in April 1st is probably not a good time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And understanding when you have their attention and what they're dealing with throughout different times of the year. Like right now it's repricing season. Because they're setting, I mean, for the ones who aren't totally wiped out by just having gone through the October 15th deadline, yeah. um, they're focusing on, okay, what am I going to do for 2023? I do not want to have the same experience that I had in 2022. Right. 
So now is the time to, now is their time to be repricing and uh, making adjustments to capacity. So understanding what they're going on. So repricing your clients, like that's jargon. Mm-hmm. Um, last year, I called that productized service um, in raise your rates. But this year I was like, no, it's repricing season. <laughs> cool. And that's, um, and a lot of people have been getting in touch about that. So, you know, just really knowing how your buyers, like even at the different times of year that they're what they have going on and adjusting accordingly. Yeah. it's. I mean, just imagine, dear listener, if you could read your client's minds and be able to know what words to use when to to help them recognize, to connect the dots for them, that you've got something that they want. Like you can help them get something they want, which is like getting down to 40 hours a week or down to 25 hours a week or whatever it might be. Yeah. So not to beat this dead horse, but one that just came to mind is like um, financial statements and documents are getting delivered way closer to the April 15th deadline. So I put all my clients on extension. We don't get K-1s until September. And so da, 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 like <laughs> all those problems, right? And you're just like, K-1s? What is that? Is that a vitamin? <laughs> right. Yeah. So they, so what do, do you, I mean, I'm putting words in your mouth, but, uh, you know, do you find that having that level of, of knowledge in the space helps them trust you more? Or do you think it's more, do you think it's uh, something even more than that? So what they say to me is stuff like, you know, I was working with a generalist. They wouldn't say I was working with a generalist business coach, but I was working with a business coach who had all kinds of clients from Pinterest to marketing people, and they just didn't understand my problems. They didn't know what it was like in the accounting space. Mm -hmm. And I would talk about my challenges and I would have to spend 15 minutes explaining to them what was going on and they still wouldn't get it. Right. Or they, or their advice, like just didn't kind of land. So what it sounds like for them talking to me is like, I just wanted somebody who knew what I was dealing with and could just tell me what to do. Right. Yeah. Someone <laughs> that they trust that, yeah. to, that the advice is actually for them. Yeah. So what's cool about this and you correct me if I'm wrong, but what's cool about this is that it makes it easier for you to hit home runs for them. Oh yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, I was just in a strategy session with a client and like, you know, basically helped her lay out her entire client roster in like 45 minutes. Mm. Whereas if, you know, a generalist business coach would have no idea what to suggest to raise um, prices to on individual tax returns, Schedule C returns, LLC returns, multi-member LLC returns. Like they would have no idea. But I, she was like, how about 400? And I was like, no, 600, 750 full rate and then do a 50-50 discount, pay half up front, pay half when you prep and file. Or they can pay, so I go on a tear here, sorry, right, $600 right. before December 31st. And she's like, that is so useful. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> the beauty of that is it made no sense to me whatsoever, right? <laughs> and and I wouldn't have been able, never mind, been able to suggest that. I didn't even understand it. And like, <laughs> that is the thing that they, they want. Like, clients love that. Like, you're speaking yeah. their language and it's just like, yeah. oh. So, and it translates to, you know, I was talking about delivery earlier. It translates to your ability to deliver better results uh, because they're just like, oh, that's genius, right? Because they're just like, oh, I never thought of that. But it, but it's from their world. And then when you back up from that and you take that learning or the jargon or the lingo or the emotions or whatever language they use to describe their emotions, you can actually put that on your website. So your website is actually doing something because when mm-hmm. they land there, they're like, um, I'm in the right place. I am definitely in the right place. Yeah. Yeah. And for that, for your listeners, I take, um, I created a 
keyboard shortcut in Text Expander, and so that it immediately opens up a Google Doc. And anytime I hear my client say something that I'm like, oh, I need to put that on my website, just bam, open up Chrome, type in the shortcut, opens up the web page, and I write it down because that stuff, you lose it so fast. I know. And then anytime I go to write sales pages, I reference all of that stuff. And I'm like, oh, there's gold in here. And my sales page just like writes itself. Yeah, exactly. Writer's block strikes for sure when you don't know who you're talking to. Oh, yeah. It's impossible. Right. Because you don't know what words to choose. I mean, there's other. Well, you don't even know what problem you're solving. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So if you pick someone, it's like the more specific, the better. And then you just write for that person. And it's like, oh, I know what words to choose because it's like you don't get speakers block talking to someone across the table because you know who you're talking to. And when when you sit down to write something like a homepage or a sales page for a new product or service, you're just like, uh, and that and that's why you see so many websites with this vague hand wavy word salad. (laughs) You read the entire thing and you get to the bottom and you don't know what they do. You still don't know what they do. Yes. Right. It's like we solve, help smart people solve hard problems and our proprietary process is proven to deliver results. It's like, but what? Like, <laughs> I don't know what any of this means. This sounds like you... corporate gobbledygook. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like, like it was made to sound statement. fancy. <laughs> it was made to sound fancy, but not, not communicate anything. Yes. No, it doesn't mean anything. So did you, I don't remember, I actually don't remember the answer to this question. Do you, did you have times when you were nervous about, Picking such a specific buyer. Oh yeah, always, every time. <laughs> okay, that's <laughs> shocking because you're it, it, because you've done such a good job of it, but you still you still get that fear of like oh that whether whatever the whatever fear you want to call it like people are like oh I'll get bored if I just work with this one kind of person. Well, speak to that one. Like, do you find yourself getting bored working with such a specific buyer? Uh, no, no. The thing. Okay, so let me take the question in two parts. And I think it would be useful for listeners to hear just because my own clients have said this to me when I talk about my journey of niching, that it's a journey, not a light switch. And I started out, so generalist business coach, like four years ago, and then into kind of financially servicey types, quickly was like, oh, the financial planners, the CFPs, I got to carve them off because they're assets under management, different business model. And then I was like, oh, the bookkeepers, they're actually a different breed. So I carved them off. And then I was like, oh, okay, accountants and CPAs. And then I was like, oh, the firm people with five partners, that's a different breed. Like I can work with them, but I don't market to them. So I carved them off. And it feels like slicing a um, like one of those leg of lambs before you get, what's that thing that I love that I can't remember the name of? Like <laughs> that comes with, you know, the Greek thing. Um that I want to say tzatziki, but it's like it comes in a pita. Anyways, you slice uh, just like slicing, like slicing off, right? Yes, okay. thank you. Okay. Um, so you just keep slicing off. <laughs> but then you're reducing your opportunities. No, you're creating, you're so deepening your opportunities because you become more expert in what they need and you can provide so much value so much faster and your job gets easier. And yeah. so that's how I got to the CPAs, the solo CPAs. And then I kind of figured out what was the revenue range that made it make sense. Right. And the reason that they're not 2 million is because they tap out because they can't figure out the work thing because they come from the early billing space. Yep. So having that, I was like, oh, it's just this revenue range. And then I can just step up to the plate and I can just hit home runs all day. And it's really, I don't want to say it's easy, but it's 
you know, I know their problems, I know the solution, and it's a matter of kind of helping them make the decisions that they need to make that are best for them because everyone knows their business and has like a slightly different take on what's going on for them. So it gets it gets simpler for sure. Yeah. And I would say the the moment that I was like, I wouldn't say I got bored, I got frustrated because I was saying the same thing again and again and again like yeah. five times in a day across five different clients. Okay. And I was like, I felt like I was in a can. And I was like, if I like, oh, I just answered this question 20 minutes ago. And you like, if I could have recorded the answer or you could have it and I could have given it to you, but instead it feels so efficient, inefficient to just say the same thing one-to-one. Right. And it wasn't boredom. It was frustration for I could be helping them so much faster and more effectively if I could figure out a way to package this knowledge and Khan Academy style, you know, like why do we teach algebra one every year in 50,000 classrooms across the country with a teacher at the blackboard? Why don't right. we have one person teach this and use the time to answer the questions? Right. And I, so I was like, oh, that was when I was like, I need to figure out how to put this in a package, teach it in a video digital kind of style, and then use the time to answer the questions and do the coaching. Right. And that was when I was like, I think, and you probably saw it too, like help me make this transition. Right. Right. So to just to, to recap that it's like, you got so specific that, you know, you, it, that it almost became easy to hit a home run. So it's like, you're working smarter, not harder by, by just focusing laser, laser focused on a particular kind of buyer. And then what starts to happen is you see patterns everywhere. And that's what you, that's why you're repeating yourself all the time. Cause it's just like these patterns are, are all over the place. Everybody's got these same, these same issues that they're wrestling with, whatever they might be that they're, they're just very, very similar. Uh, and then you start to think, all right, I need to package this up in a different way because not because I'm bored, but because it's inefficient to be doing yeah. onesie twosies over and over and over. It's like, just record this. All right. So, so how long do you, I mean, if you could, I mean, it hasn't been that long, it, you know, with the, from the, the Greek sandwich phase, when you started, <laughs> started with the whole roast or whatever it is, then how much was that early, early pandemic? I mean, I forget. I don't even know what year it is now. Yeah. Time is such a warp, right? So, okay. Yeah. So here's how I keep track of it. Cause I've been, I started working with you when I moved to Idaho and that was two, not just past two years ago. Mm -hmm. So it was a year to stabilize my business and really figure out, you know, when we started two years ago, it was, um, it was already accountants and CPAs, but it was a year to kind of figure out my products and services in a one-on-one -on -one fashion and nail the marketing so that the, uh, the lead generation was consistent. And then we lifted prices and I still filled even with lifted up prices. So it took a year to do that. And now it's in this second year not quite, hasn't been a whole, um, anyway, second year that we've been figuring out the packages. So I did an iteration of what we called CPA reboot camp that ran once. And then when I ran that, I figured out, I was like, oh, actually it needs to be this thing called CPA mastermind, which I, you know, figured out of course, when I was out running and, <laughs> um, and then did the pilot of that for two months. Um, and which I, we could talk about the mistakes that I made in that and what I learned, which was amazing. And now finally, um, I'm 10 weeks or two months into the full iteration of CPA mastermind in its full paid version. So basically it's taken, you know, 10 months to kind of make this transition. And I'm definitely not all the way through it 
I feel like it'll be another probably six months until everything, all the productized services are up and built and running and populated. Cool. Yeah, let's go there next. So so it's a good segue from, all right, how do I package all of this, like all of this information that I'm repeating manually? How do I package this up in a way where I can, you know, broadcast it one to many in a way that will actually work? Like not just not just like videos that you download or whatever. So like what uh, I mean, if you want to start with like what you learned the first time through and and how that uh, how that went. Yeah. And I'll back up just a bit because I think it's useful. In so a year ago, so last December, I had, I was like jam packed full with one on one clients and a lot of work, which was strategic because we knew that the transition was coming and that I would need to turn down the incoming revenue spigot in order to create space to build it. Right. So that was, and I'm so glad we did that because. There's, it took a lot of cash runway to build this. And had I not built sufficient cash runway, I would have run out. Like for sure the plane would have gone off the end. (laughs) And. And the panicking, like the, uh. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it would have, yeah, it just would have been like messy and painful. So I had, what do I, um, I mean, probably like at least six months, if not a year of cash runway. And I'm glad for all of it. And, um, so then I was working with my clients because I, you know, had built, brought on clients intentionally because I knew I wanted, I mean, they needed, obviously they wanted to work together. I, they needed the help and I was prepared in a situation where I could work with them. So I did. And then most of them, because of tax season trailed off, wrapped up in February, March, April, at which point I was like, okay, here's my opportunity to build the program. So I, in March, April, I built it and then sold, started selling it in May. And it was an intensive program designed to teach them everything in two weeks. <laughs> and, um, cause I wanted them to be able to make a, a bunch of progress in a bunch of time and then, you know, go have the summer to implement. And then there's a fall tax season that they kind of get sucked back into. So we, um, so I did a bunch of videos, deployed it. I think we had, I think I had five people in it and which was perfect and um, got them through the program. I learned a ton. The material is all the same. Like all the expertise in my head is the same. And I thought to myself, two weeks is probably like it worked for the people who did it, but it was pretty intense. And I don't think that most people would want that experience. Mm -hmm. So then I asked, you know, how do I spread this out? And what's the right time frame that's going to fit where they can actually make reasonable, like really good progress without it being too sprinty or feeling too much like a marathon. Like what's the, you know, 10K or half marathon in between. Right. Right. And that was how we got to four months because given tax season and the way they can just get sucked under and summer and like everything, it was like four months seemed like the right time frame. So that's what I'm in the middle of testing not testing. That's what I'm running now that um, started in September and they're halfway through. But before I ran this iteration, I needed to do the pilot version, which was like pilot number two, kind of, Yeah. which we ran, which I ran over the summer um, and do not make the mistake that I made. (laughs) Slightly embarrassing. Um, But do not think that you can launch a program right before you have a family vacation, three week long overseas family vacation planned. (laughs) 
Yeah, that is no a internet. bad idea. But somehow I managed to pretend like that was going to be fine. And Louis Fee in France was going to somehow work, but it didn't. So um, so because of that, I decided to run a second month for free to get the data and the feedback that I needed. And it all worked out fine in the end. Um, but, you know, it was not without its hiccups. <laughs> An opportunity to serve. So, <laughs> okay. So can, can we paint a picture of the difference between like what are the can you make the the program more tangible i almost i feel sure. like we're on a jv thing where i'm like selling your program like i i'm sure probably no cpas are listening to this if they are then check it out but what i really want to unpack here is like i want to make sure people who are in the mode of of doing this sort of everything's custom every time with any kind of uh, any kind of customer who needs what they do. So software developer, oh, you need software? I can write that. Oh, you're a marketer, you need marketing? I can do that. I can do SEO for you. Like, so they're just, they're just like anything for anyone. And then switching into, you know, then, then you niche down really specifically into a particular buyer. You, then you started to see the patterns. So, so what does a thing look like? What does a program look like after you've seen the patterns? Like, what is this? So just so someone who has no concept of what we're talking about, mm, the, the mechanics yeah. of it, totally. you know, how does it launch or does it launch? Is it evergreen? You know, like, can you kind of paint the picture of, of how you ended up packaging these things you were seeing over and over again in a way that wasn't too sprinty and wasn't too marathony, so that, that it wasn't just like a crash course and then nobody sticks to it? Yeah. Okay. So the things, so for me, it felt like the topics that they needed drove the mechanics mm -hmm. and the topics that they need are, they need to niche or they need to position. Like you say, mm -hmm. my people need to price and package their services and they need to promote their services. So I just laid out all the things Those that I say. Those are deficiencies that most of them have. Yeah. Just put like all the places that they need help because they didn't get that teaching along the way. So right. no big deal, position, price, package, promote. And I, then I thought to myself, how would I lay this out in a, you know, if it's four months, 16 weeks, and I just laid out all the topics that I would need to talk about. And then I just finagled a little bit to be like, all right, if this is 14 weeks, should I make it 16 or should I make it 12 and have like a free week every month? And I was like, it doesn't matter what's like, I'm just going to try it this way and I'll make it work. Mm -hmm. Um and from there, I was like, okay, one topic, one video. So I wrote my slides, Google presentation, record a loom video, super MVP, not fancy. Mm -hmm. And, um, and because I have, you know, because I've done this now so many times with so many clients who have the same challenges and the same questions, it was really easy to write my slides, 10, 10 or so slides, one topic per slide, and then just extemporaneously just talk about each one. Yep. And then, so that's a Loom video with a link and it lives somewhere. Um, and then and then I record my lessons one, um, trying to think here. My lessons are all recorded the week before. So I'm just one week ahead of them based on, I mean, I know what I'm gonna say already, but I'm just reading the room and then recording so it feels really current. Yep. Um, and then, it, but at the beginning, just so that they can see the arc of the whole course, the whole mastermind, there are five videos at the top that are high level on each topic. And each one of those is 45 minutes or so, just so they can see 
where we're headed and have a sense of how all this fits in context. Yep. And then week by week, the individual weekly videos are smaller and those will get reused in the next cohort. I won't re-record a fresh batch of those. Okay. So let's take it a little bit back a little bit into it launch. You launch on a date. People are, you know, you, you email them, you say, Hey, there's going to be a new, there's going to, this is going to launch registration is going to open and then they can sign up for it. And then they land in what a Slack room, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and do you drop all of those, the, the long videos are kind of like webinars. Like, do you drop yeah. those all at once and they're expected to go through them? And yes. You know, okay. And how many people do you like to have in there in a cohort? 10. Okay. So it's a, it's a manageable group. They go through, it's, it's small enough that you could be like, you can notice if someone's flaking or straggling, mm-hmm. you know, falling behind. Um, so they go through the videos and then, and that's the, that's the land, that's the overview of the landscape. That's the flyover yep. and they can see how everything fits together. And then now what are these, what are these weekly lessons just so people understand? So they just get more granular on, so for example, pricing, right? So if I, one of the videos at the outset is pricing and I go through like all my, pri- like what they need to know about pricing, cause they don't need to know everything about pricing and they just need to know a few tools. Yep. But then the weekly video will be more like, okay, you guys have these clients going on. So here's how you're going to take this pricing concept and move through your client roster. And you know, first we're going to jettison, not jettison, disen- we're going to look at what clients need disengaging. And, um, and then we're going to look at what clients you want to keep and we're going to figure out how to reprice them. And we're going to use what we talked about in the pricing video, go back and watch it if you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're going to talk about the clients you want to be bringing on and how to price them. So mm-hmm. they can take the theory that they learned at the top and actually apply it to the th- um, basically the two buckets of clients that they're um, that they have, the ones that they're going to keep and the ones that they want to get. So that's how we land the plane is like we take the theory from the top and lay on the plane each week, like make decisions about, um, like make decisions and move forward. Okay. And now do they have like action items after each one, like homework? Okay. What's, what's an example just so people can feel like they have a sense of it. Um, so Friday homework is on Fridays (laughs) and (laughs) you know, it's your homework is due by Friday and I review it on Monday and we have office hours on Tuesday. An example of homework would be, um, give me your bronze, silver, gold for your new ideal buyer with prices, with what include, like what are the service items within that uh, bronze, silver, gold. And then the following week was give me your one-time packages. So if you have a strategy session or a deep dive session or a VIP day, um, give me, tell me what those things are with names and titles. And I gave them multiple choice of like, do you want to call it a VIP day or a deep dive or a whatever? Yeah. Um, and... So give me your title and your price and what is included in it and what you think the outcome will be for the buyer. So we're actually designing and building. Hmm, cool. So how much, uh, that sounds like a lot of, it's it's not an a extraordinary amount of work for them to do for a week, but it feels like it would be fraught with emotional yeah. considerations. Yes, yes. So how much support do they get from you or the other people in the room while they're wrestling with their mindset or whatever it might be? So I offer office hours twice a week for an hour. 
so they can come to either or both of those to work through stuff. And that's a and, Zoom call or what's yeah, that? all Zoom. Yep. Mm -hmm. And um, I also have a team of certified coaches for mindset stuff. So if you have pricing and money drama, which mm -hmm. you know most of us do. Right. Just <laughs> get real about that. You know, if you're scared of pushing your prices, pricing drama. Um, mm -hmm. So I have a team of coaches who coach one-on-one -on -one for 20 minutes who help with that kind of thing. And um, and then they have a Slack channel where they can share what's working, what's not, and post wins. And I just got to, like, I just, I signed a new client in my gold package, <laughs> that kind of thing. And that's really awesome because it helps them because what we're doing is so different than how the accounting space has done things for so long that it feels really unnatural to them. And they don't have a lot of other people to look to to get confirmation that they're not bat crazy. So <laughs> when they have a room full of with other people who are like, I just did it and it worked. They're like, oh my gosh, okay. And it just, it totally accelerates their progress. Hmm. That's great. It's amazing. Right. So I'm going to keep harping on this for the listener. It's like, <laughs> it's like, th think of how much, I think the average person listening to this is pretty far away from hiring mindset coaches. So, you know, and, and that's fine. You know, it's just, it just makes sense though, when you know, you have like, so in Geraldine's case, like, you know, you've got the right answers and to the point where you're like sick of saying them let's like let's let's scale this up like like figure out a way to make this more efficient work smarter not harder and then a new problem emerges which is okay i'm broadcasting this information to multiple people but now they're not doing it for let's just call it irrational reasons right but they're real they're real reasons mm -hmm. so okay so now to to because your goal is always to be more effective right so like so like all right how do i make this more effective like we need to coach people on their their pricing hangups mm -hmm. or whatever it might be. And you could like, do you, could you ever have gotten, do you think, could, could you have gotten to this point if you were like also handling bookkeepers and CFPs and whatever, like, yeah, no, yeah, it'd be impossible. No. Right? No, no. And yeah. what's even better is like, now I have time and space to listen to the other things they need. They're like, Geraldine, what would be amazing is like if somebody has figured out workflow templates for onboarding and monthly services, and I can sit back and be like, hmm, where could I get those? I'm not going to come up with them. I don't need to come up with them. I couldn't come up with them, but I don't have to come up with them. I just have to find the person who has them right? and go either you know buy them or have the person come in and deliver a training or what have you. I can get creative in countless ways. But bring in the expertise and the the deliverable, the service, whatever the solution is to solve their problem. And you just, I continue to find ways that I can just pack this program with value to make it so like, um, like stepping on a, um, like a friction-free service, surface, surface, mm -hmm. where like wet banana or, you know, like wet <laughs> ice, where they can, the glide path is just so seamless and they can just move right along and make tons of progress and restructure their business mm -hmm. in no time flat and get all the tools they need. And it's great for them. And it's great for me. In what way? That they get better like the more that I can be freed up and deliver in a scaled capacity mm -hmm. that I, that they can, I can make the program more, I can continue to make the program more and more powerful and more and more effective. 
And the more I can do that, the more valuable it is. And the more valuable it is, the more it will attract people and bring in more people to it. And the more valuable I make it, potentially, if I want to, I can I can increase the price. And right. it simplifies my business and my business model and just makes my life easier. I get, I create more value for them. They make more money. I make more right. money. Everybody they work less. I work less. It's, right. it's like crazy magic when you say it that way, but that's what happens. Yeah. I mean, another way to put it, like a different framing is that you are relentlessly increasing your leverage. Yes. So, right. So it's like at every, at every point, it's, it, but it's great. The thing that's amazing about it, because a lot of people will just naturally gravitate to, to working smarter, not harder, but they think of it in terms of like systems and back office stuff. And I want to mm -hmm. decrease my costs, decrease my costs, decrease my costs. But your, yours is more proactive where you're the thing you're trying to lift with the lever is laser focused on this particular person's, uh, this particular buyer's successful outcome. Like, how can I make this person more successful? How can I help the people that I like get what they want more reliably with less work for me and them, for everyone? Yeah. Yep. And that ratchet is, it's just, it's great. I mean, relentless sounds like a negative term, but it's, but it's like, uh, I, in this context, it's really good you're relentlessly focused on their success and like how, and, and it doesn't have to be, I, I love the point that it doesn't have to be you, right? You could just bring yeah. someone in who has this area mm -hmm. of expertise, right? It doesn't need to yep. be all, you know, uh, not invented here. No, never mind. So yeah, that's, that's fabulous. Love it. So and what, way, way more fun, honestly. Okay, drill in, uh, unpack that a little bit. Yeah. Go, <laughs> how could it be fun? Double click on that. <laughs> You want me to? Yeah, yeah, sure. Like, because here's the problem. Here's the the objection that that the objection to what you're describing is like the first one is boredom. I'll get bored. Uh, I won't be. I, I I like the sugar high of learning a new industry every four months. Oh God, it's exhausting. No. Yeah. So uh, the other thing is that the other thing that comes up is that cynics will be will think it's it's all uh snake oil like mm. or whatever it's just like oh you're just tricking them into you come on podcasts and and you talk about how great it is and how specific and beneficial it is and then you get in there and it's like underwhelming or something like that but like if you're focused on like virtually everyone listening to the show is in a service business and if you actually adopt a posture of service yeah your whole job is to transform your client's business or, or their yes. life, depending on what you do. But your whole job is to enable this transformation from point A to point B. It's not to make a million dollars. You know, it's not to not to do any of that. I mean, there will be some self-centered or selfish benefit from it. I shouldn't say selfish. I mean, you, like value will accrue to you. Like you will capture some of the value that you create and that's how you pay your mortgage. But focusing on the I just love the idea of focusing on this very specific customer client success metric and designing all of your leverage to deliver that and just trusting or knowing, because like you said, you could raise your prices if you decide to, like if, if that's a side effect, that's like an, an afterthought almost. It's like, well, at some point I could do that if I wanted to, but the, it has to be, to me, it has to be, I don't know how to, I don't work. I don't know how to work really effectively with people who don't see their income as a side effect of producing value for their ideal buyers. It's like confusing. 
Yeah, no, your income, it, your your top line revenue is a lagging indicator. Right, of value created, right. Of value creation. Mm-hmm. And value creation comes from thinking and innovating. Right. So if So for the cynic, the cynic is putting themselves in a difficult spot because they're, I don't want to speak for the cynic as if I know right. what that's like, <sighs> but the the person who thinks that it's not possible will close will use their confirmation bias against them and they their brain will block out ways that it is possible so instead use your confirmation bias in your favor and believe that it's possible and look for problems that your buyers have and people and the people who for whom let me say it this way look for for the people that you like to work with Look for their problems and figure out if you could find a solution for that and then figure and then figure out how can I deliver that solution more quickly, more expediently, with less effort for them, with less suffering for them. Like what are all the ways I could make their experience and their transformation amazing? Mm-hmm. And that's where I start from. I mean, this program is intentionally designed with my client's amazing experience as the end result. And then I backfill, I ask myself, how can I make this the most amazing thing for them? Right. And then deliver from there. And they like, it's amazing. <laughs> and you just keep making it more amazing. <laughs> right. Which is fun. Yeah. Which is, it's fun. And I, fun feels frilly. It's rewarding. Mm-hmm. It is, it's deeply rewarding when somebody comes to you and says, I was scared of my business and I didn't know what to do with it. And it was dominating my life and I wasn't seeing my kids. And I paid $7,500 for your program. And in six weeks, I've made that back in more in recurring monthly revenue. <laughs> right? So recurring. like, she's going to make that all year long and for every year to come. Right. And now I don't have to work so hard. And I get to work. I can see now I can see the path to working 25 hours a week and taking care of my family. I Like that, I don't, uh, I need another word. I don't think I can swear on your podcast. Like <laughs> that stuff. <laughs> Like that is like crack when somebody says that to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, okay, what would you say to someone who would say like, "Well, um, but I have to"? Uh, either there's, I guess, there's two versions of this. One is, um, I I have to do the stuff. Like I need to do it one on one with the person. I need to work through it with them one on one, and you know, help them come up with the new marketing materials or whatever the things that you are having your folks do. Not on their own without support, but but you're not getting your hands as dirty as you would with a one-on-one client. So you're you're backing off, you're sort of stepping back a little bit and being like, okay, here's what you need to do, but you still have to do it. You know, do you feel like like uh, your involvement is? Do you feel like you could deliver better results quicker if you went back to one-on-one stuff? No, more one-on-one. Why is that? So. Okay, so in preparation for this call, I made a spreadsheet, of course, <laughs> on of course. the ways <laughs> that one-to-one, you know, you had pro and con, the pros and the cons of one-on-one and the pros and the cons of productized service. Mm-hmm. And of course, I had to break it out because I was like the pros and cons to the client of one-on-one and the pros and cons ah, yes. with, for me Smart. of one-on-one compared to the um, same deal, right? So you've got basically a grid of eight. And the only drawback of... Um, the productized service for the client is the one-on-one attention. But so to combat that, if you will, that's why I put office hours in there twice a week was so that they still had sufficient one-on-one attention. But 
all, but in the pro column for the client, it is more effective because not only do they get my expertise, but they get the expertise of everybody else in the group because they teach each other in addition to me teaching them. And sometimes somebody will say things and spin it, you know, they're CPAs, I'm not, they will say things in their own private language that they're like, oh, right. And that's so valuable. And they get a community of peers, which is super valuable, especially in a virtual space who are in similar places on their journey. They get the, they get each other's networks, they get each other's perspectives. And they also, because I can make the price more approachable, are probably more likely to buy and actually do the work that they know they need to do. So they're actually more likely to get the result because I can make the price more accessible. So, you know, in all kinds of ways that really count, the productized service version of coaching of, you know, my knowledge, my expertise is far better in a, in the productized service than it is in the one-on-one. Like it's hard for me to justify one-on-one except for the people who are hot off tax season and they have 750 clients, they make $750,000 and they work 75 hours a week and they're like, help. That's, <laughs> that's a like person. Triage. <laughs> that is, that's a person that needs one-on-one because they're so busy that they need one-on-one. But, um, and I will hold spaces open for one-on-one because I, I enjoy the sort of relationship of it. Um, but in terms of efficacy, mm-hmm. the productized service is is way better. Yeah. Okay. Um, I guess I'm just, I'm just like I'm trying to come up with every objection I've ever. Had <laughs> the other one, and I fear think, we have to talk about fear. Yeah, go for it. Because that's the primary objection, right? Yes. Like, I don't know I how guess. to do it. I don't know what it's going to look like. You know, so I don't know how. Yes. Yep. Well, what would you so, say? To that? I, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I have an answer, but what's what's your answer? Well, so I do think like in terms of mechanics, I I do think you have to get to the point where you've said the same things on repeat enough times that you're like, oh, now I see how I could package it. If you aren't there yet, like don't, I wouldn't recommend yeah, and don't maybe, force it. yeah, don't force it. Um, but once you get there, then, I mean, fear is just part of the journey. Anytime you wade into the unknown, fear is going to be your companion. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just write out, I mean, I just write out all my fears in the morning. <laughs> I just put them on paper and then close the notebook. And I'm like, okay, great. Those are there. <laughs> That's where now, I, I, like, I now what's on my list? Right, <laughs> yeah, right. I won't lose them. They'll be right there tomorrow. <laughs> what did Jonathan tell me to do? And then I go do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, the, the, I guess the, the leaving money on the table is another one. I mean, they're all fears, right? Like all of the objections are fears. Yeah. Um, Another one, which I generally agree is true, generally agree is true, is that you're potentially leaving money on the table with a productized service because you don't have an opportunity to talk to the buyer and get a sense of what the outcome is worth to them. So in your case, if you've got such a, you're so specific that you can actually come up with a price that you know, like you already know them. Basically, yeah. you know, yeah. you basically know their situation. Like you could do a cold read and like once you get to a point where you can do a cold read on a on a, a prospect, in other words, you can tell them what their situation is better than they can tell you. With, you just met them yeah. and they've given you two pieces of information or they, you know, it was part of the form that they filled out on your website. And you're like, let me guess, <laughs> yep. you, you know, this, 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 and you kind of, you can just like list it. Like David C. Baker does this too. He's like, he works with a very specific 
kind of, of uh, client. And so he can like predict their profitability per employee by asking them two questions. Like yep. you, you don't get there by not being very specific in, in who you help. But anyway, I'm tangent. The, the, the idea of potentially leaving money on the table if, uh, I don't know. I mean, basically, if someone from outside of the incredibly narrow slice of people for whom the program was designed, if someone who was like 10 times, had 10 times the buying power, to, like joined, then maybe they would have paid, you know, five times more money. But even as I'm saying that, it's like your, your sort of selection criteria is so specific that I, I would imagine, I would bet that in your scenario, you're really not leaving money on the table or no. if you are, it's very little. No, what for sure one-on-one -on -one leaves money on the table. Do you mean the old one-on-one -on -one or do you mean? No, what I mean is um, if I were to stay with a one-on-one -on -one coaching model, which mm -hmm. I, you know, I love one-on-one -on -one coaching. I love my clients. But if I kept my business model exclusively one-on-one -on -one coaching, mm -hmm. the most amount of money that I could make in a year would be like, I don't know, 300000 or 500000 but with a productized service, I can see the path to 675. I can see the path to 1.25. I can see the path to two and a half million. Right. I can see the path to those things. But mm -hmm. with one-on-one -on -one coaching, I, can't, I, I couldn't see the path to those things. Not that right. I necessarily want or need two and a half million dollars because right. like, I wear jeans with holes in the knees. That's how <laughs> I roll. So I don't care about like beyond a certain point, I don't care. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. So, so in the overall business, the one-on-one -on -one maxes out at yeah. a certain point. Yeah, yeah. like a, a licensed massage therapist can only deliver so many massages in a week. Mm -hmm. So right. then what? <laughs> yeah, raise your hourly rate. Oh, and you can only raise it so far. I mean, you exactly. might find people who are willing to pay $10,000 for a massage, but like, I don't know how many. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but I think there's something that might be useful for your listeners about selling at scale, which I don't know if you were going to ask me about, but I think you no, should. No, that's a good one. Yeah, go ahead. That's great. <laughs> um, because a lot of people or people, I don't want to speak for everybody. Many people don't like selling because they think, because they're not good at it and they don't know how, they haven't, there's so much bad and dirty selling mm -hmm. that selling has a bad rap. Yep. And, um, but when selling is in service of your clients and you're discovering whether or not you can legitimately help them and your solution is solid, then why not? Then it's amazing to sell to them because you get to help them and solve their problem. And then they right. you know, get all the things that we talk about, which is work less and make more money and spend more time with family and better quality of life. And But when you're doing one-on-one -on -one and getting better at having sales conversations and you kind of figure out how that works and make the transition to selling a productized service, selling in a scaled way without having one-on-one -on -one conversations is a whole different beast. Got it. Yes, I see what you're saying now. Yep. And I think I underestimated the strength of that <laughs> beast that I was like up against. And yeah, having to really a... understand. Sorry, what? I was just going to say, you don't have the opportunity to kind of like wing it on a phone call. and like Yeah, no, you can't customize. use your kind of intuition to guide the, you know, to understand and right. surface objections. It's like you have to know every single objection of your buyer. You have to surface them all and get on get them on your website. And if they're not buying, it's because they have some objection you haven't surfaced yet. And it's really easy to get pissed off at your buyer and be like, why aren't they buying? They should buy. Don't they know my program is great? <laughs> but it's really up to you to be like, they're not buying because of something I haven't said to them yet. 
So there's real work to be done in um, in really like, I actually love this, which I'll get to in a second, but really deeply understanding everything that is in your buyer's head from the things that they want to how they talk about it to their objections so that you can get all of that publicly facing. Mm -hmm. But what I think is so great about this, like the deeper level of it is selling in a scaled way forces you to go to the next level of depth of understanding your buyer because when you when they don't buy when you think they ought to be and you ask yeah. yourself why aren't why are they not the place to go is to your buyers to ask them like what's missing right and so i did this i went to a number of past clients and i showed them um, my new version which is down to 25 hours cpa mastermind for people who get to the next level what's missing on this page and they went through and they were like oh i they're like they would they picked apart the phrases and they were like oh, this, I think you meant this. Or I wouldn't say it this way, I would say this instead. And that was so useful because in talking to three of my past clients or kind of existing clients, I got to a new level of depth of understanding how they think about um, some of the stuff that we work on, which mm. was just invaluable. And so like you you immediately were like, this is great feedback. Like you knew it was. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it was amazing. I spent, they were gracious enough. They gave me like half hour, 45 minutes each, went through my website copy, like little red pen on the Zoom screen. <laughs> and they were like, this phrase here, say this instead. So, so, so good. And I never, and it's, you know, not just for the kind of selling of the product, if you will, but just having the opportunity to, anytime you have the opportunity to understand your ideal buyer in a deeper capacity, it's just invaluable. Yeah, it just pays off like forever and ever. Yeah, especially when you are not your kind of buyer. Like I'm not a CPA, never will be. Right. Right. So I, um, and having not owned an accounting firm, there are things that I just would never, you know, I wouldn't know because I haven't had the experience. So, um, so especially for people who haven't been in their buyer's shoes to, it just felt like to be allowed into behind the scenes, so super valuable. And like you say, forever and ever. Yeah, that's great. I, I know we could, like the love fest could continue all day. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure we both have other things to get to. So uh, this has been great. Thank you so much for coming on. I hope the listener. I I hope there are listeners out there that have have had some got some clarity out of this. You know, like there is a they're working too hard just doing one on one stuff. Whether it's doing you know building rails ads like they're just coding something or they're just you know banging out marketing campaigns or doing seo or something like that and being like in in the one the the folks in the audience who find themselves repeating the same thing over and over like those are the people who really need to hear this episode because you painted a really clear picture of how to you know carve off people that are a different beast and just get right into the one you can help the most and then figure out how to help them even more in ways that are even uh, like more effective for them and easier for you. So this is, this is uh, hopefully there's a, hopefully you'll email, email both of us, dear listener, if you fall into <laughs> that category. Oh, cool. So speaking of that, where can people go to find out more about you? Sure. So if they want to find my website, it's geraldinecarter.com. My podcast is the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast, and people can email me at gc at geraldinecarter.com. Awesome. Thanks again, Geraldine. Thanks, Jonathan. It's always great to talk to you. All right, folks, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark, and I hope you join me again next time for Ditching Hourly. Bye. Hey, Jonathan again. Do you have questions about how to improve your business? 
things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time, or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space, or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. Book a one-on-one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. If at the end of the call, you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com call, C-A-L-L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com call. Hope to see you there.